Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. Uh, we're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much. Now, one of the big stories that we've covered this week is obviously the leak uh, regarding Simon Bridges' travel expenses. Let's take a look at that. Simon Bridges spent more than $100,000 on travel during his recent three-month roadshow. Hello. Details of his spending were leaked to a media organisation, and now the hunt is on for who's to blame. Each party receives the expenses of their own MPs before the numbers are shared publicly. I'm confident it's not going to be a national MP, but let's see where this goes. So confident, in fact, he's asking for an investigation into the leak. It's ultimately about the fact that a leak such as this potentially affect all members of parliament. These national MPs say it wasn't them. It's a direct hit on the opposition and on the leader of the opposition. Heaven forbid that a leader of the opposition would uh, go and talk to people in places like Timur and Ashburton rather than political journalists in Wellington. Did I leak the information? You must be really desperate. No, of course I wouldn't. I've got no idea, but I can assure you would not be a member of the National Caucus. The Prime Minister says Labour didn't have Nationals' numbers. I can categorically rule it out. The other people who have access to this information are Parliamentary Service, who are Parliament's administrators, the Parliamentary Library and the Speaker Trevor Mallard. Mr Mallard says the evidence doesn't point to any of them and that he's considering whether to launch an investigation. I have established uh, today that the format uh, that the document was in uh, is not one that was supplied to the Parliamentary Library for upgrading uh, or to my office. The Prime Minister's bill for Crown Cars was around $80,000 when she was in opposition too. I was surprised by that uh, and uh, disappointed and that's why, you know, as Prime Minister I've changed up some of the things that I do. The details of MPs' expenses were due to be made public on Thursday, but the fallout for the leak could drag on much longer. So this is a really interesting story from a journalist's point of view because half of us thinks we want leaks to keep coming. That's part of particularly political journalism and you don't ever want someone to feel nervous giving you information that you would ever reveal it. And, no. and all journalists would stand by that. But then comes into question this issue of security of information at Parliament and that's why Trevor Mallard has gone so high level with this investigation because the people working here, the administrative staff, have to be politically neutral. And you've got a few options here. You've either got some of the national MPs leaking it, or some of the um, parliamentary administrative staff leaking it. And either way, interesting story. Absolutely, and it's going to be uh, interesting to see what comes of it. It feels a little bit like a, a game of Cluedo, um, you know, a bit <laughs> yeah. of a whodunit. Um, and I think that there will be a number of people sitting quite nervously um, around um, the halls of Parliament um, over the coming weeks uh, as the investigation gets underway. Um, you know, while we do, um, as journalists, want to see those leaks coming to us because that's how we get um, some of the, the good stories and the stories that need to be told, there is that argument around um, sort of individualised um, targeting when it comes to leaks of, of people, um, individuals like Simon Bridges. So that's what um, National would sort of argue um, is the sort of issue here is that it's a sort of um, a hit job, a takedown of an individual rather than, say, a policy or an issue. And I also reckon there's a chance that just by launching this investigation, the 
person who leaked it may think, right, this I'm probably going to get found out. I'll come forward, whoever it is, unless it is a national MP. Um, where therefore they may be wanting to bide their time very carefully. But you can even, you know, it's a serious issue. But you can imagine how nervous that person is feeling right now that a QC, a um, IT specialist are going to come in and forensically look through emails. I think Trevor Mallard's were, unless you're um, very, very sophisticated, you're going to get caught. Absolutely. So we shall see. Yeah, interesting issue. Teachers were another big topic this week. Um, There was a big protest outside Parliament with a few thousand people striking. Interesting, the Prime Minister went out and met them. Um, And I thought that was... That was an unusual move. It wasn't one that we were expecting. Um, but Chris Hipkins seemed to take most of the political heat in that. She, and I think that's a bit of the strategy, isn't it? A bit of yeah. the, the bad cop, the good cop, bad cop strategy um, that Labour's implored on this issue. You've got Chris Hipkins taking a lot of the flack um, uh, in terms of um, the frustrations. Um, and then you've got Jacinda Ardern, who's coming in sort of playing the good cop um, and um, sort of trying to to soothe that sort of tension and, and that's the strategy they're obviously going for. It is unusual to see a Prime Minister come out to the steps um, of Parliament. Um, the other interesting thing that I thought from watching um, the debate in the House when Simon Bridges was questioning Jacinda Ardern on this um, is that they were sort of labelling it as um, a fault of, of the Labour government, these strikes. Um, and Jacinda Ardern sort of said to him, well, if, if, if these strikes were the fault of the Labour government, where were national MPs? on the steps of Parliament to welcome uh, those who had come to protest. So that was They were laying a little bit low, I have to say, during that protest. But it's just, the thing is, is the strike doesn't look good for Labour, though. That's the, I mean, it's, they can blame it on the national government to some extent, but it's not a great look because you've got nurses, um, teachers, it's strike after strike after strike. And the fact that they um, went on a strike when they're being offered more money, I think you've got you've got to take the parents with you on this. I think parents will give teachers a couple of times where they'll be like, yep, we acknowledge you do a really good job, we want you to be paid more. But it's a, it's a fine balancing act with things like this. Absolutely. And in terms of the number of strikes that we have seen um, while Labour's been in, in power, it's all very well for them um, to sort of uh, refer that back to the previous government. But at some point, um, nine months in now, they're going to have to take ownership um, for for what's happening on their watch. And it's expectations and as well, eh? Don't you reckon it is that, expectations. They, that these guys have far higher expectations of what they're able to achieve under a Labour government? than under a national government. And it's almost a um, self-fulfilling prophecy that's bad for Labour because Labour gets in, ah, our guys are in, and then suddenly they've got a a, a headache on their hands. Yeah, Yeah, they've got to dig deeper into the pockets. Um, Talking about um, deep pockets, um, you did a story today on a letter to the Māori King questioning some of his expenses. So should we have a look at that track? Some say he was the Māori King's right-hand man. 
but Tukuroirangi Morgan's letter reveals the relationship has soured. He says our people see you as a puppet king and it's destroying the credibility of King Itanga. Other allegations include publicly embarrassing financials regarding the king's office, personal loans, beauty treatments, cash withdrawals and a $43,000 tummy tuck. The office of the Māori king is largely funded through tribal money and is currently being investigated by the serious fraud office. Tukuroirangi Morgan held a position of trust within the tribe. He's expressed a level of frustration on a range of things that would concern anybody who is paying attention. Adding to the breakdown in their relationship, the crippling Māori Party election result, Mr Morgan was party president and the King boldly supported them, cutting ties with Labour. But it blew up in both their faces. The Māori King is said to have criticised Mr Morgan at a recent Iwi Chairs Forum dinner. That's why he's written the letter saying a true leader would do it face to face. So let's do it in front of our people. Some of our people may fear you, I don't and I never have. One News understands Tainui tribal leadership met with King Tu Haitia yesterday to discuss the letter where it was decided they wouldn't make public comment as they didn't want to give oxygen to what they say is a non-issue. But Hauraki Waikato MP and the King's close relative Nanaya Mahuta admits the people are anxious. Many members of my tribe are really, really concerned about the current state of affairs. The Serious Fraud Office wouldn't comment on its investigation into the King's affairs, but Mr Morgan's letter has been sent to the Prime Minister's office. So a rather explosive, hugely explosive letter there um, from Tukuroirangi Morgan to the Māori King. I mean, as we saw in that track, Tukuroirangi Morgan was for a long time one of the King's right-hand uh, men, um, and he was um, always at that sort of brown table that's being referred to um, in terms of the high echelons of um, the Māori leadership. Um, and so very interesting, lots of strong um, combative language in that letter, some quite personal um, criticisms uh, of the king by Tuku Morgan, which um, borderline on, you know, brute, being brutal actually. Um, so, uh, huge, huge letter um, in Te Ao Māori. And I feel like it seems to have stirred a pot. Um, him coming, Tuku Morgan coming forward and and spilling like he did, it feels like it's prompted other people to feel a little bit more brave about coming and saying their thing. But I also wonder what it's going to be like at the coronation, which absolutely say, starts this weekend. It's going to be yes. a bit tense. It will be. I mean, um, it is. It's the Maori King's coronation celebrations, uh, which kick off at Tūranga Waiwai Marae this this Friday. Um, and so, no doubt. I mean, that that is the place to sort of air the grievances of the people is on the marae. So um, we'll be hoping to sort of hear uh, the thoughts of the masses uh, on this issue. Uh, it was very interesting, I thought, to hear from Nanaya Mahuta uh, in particular saying that Tukuroirangi Morgan held a position of uh, trust within the tribe and that anyone would be concerned with the um, allegations and the concerns that he raised, almost sort of legitimising it in some way, um, which is huge coming from Nanaya Mahuta given that she is... Um, such a close relation to the king and she she is held in huge respect amongst the people so I guess so at the end of the day she was speaking there with the hat on as a politician and politicians are held to the held to account for every single dollar they spend and that perception of um, being extravagant in the baubles of office are probably quite close to the front of their minds 
but different for the for the king. He's not elected. It's not an elected position. He's funded from certain groups and maybe isn't quite as um, conscious of the front page test when he's doing things like the flash cars and the tummy tucks and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm sure that the people will have a lot to say about that at, at the Hui this weekend. I mean, there have been for for a while now questions around extravagance of spending and, and that's um, sort of nothing founded, obviously, um, but still questions nonetheless. And where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire, and we shall see when um, we get the results back from the serious fraud investigation, office investigation. I do feel like it's a tiny little bit rich um, from Mr Morgan, given that um, that whenever I see him, all I can think about is the $89 spent on the, <laughs> the underpants from years and years ago. I don't know if anyone else still remembers that, maybe just me. Um, but how, how do we segue from that to ACT Party? I'm not sure if there's a clean way to do that. So let's just go straight into maybe the underdogs of the political system. Yeah, oh, that's right. Hey. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So let's have a look at Benedict's track on the ACT Party. David Seymour is looking for new ways to boost ACT's popularity. It was clear at ACT's annual conference in Remuera today. He was pleased with his polling. We're two and a half thousand votes nationwide uh, off electing a second MP on the latest poll that I've seen. So there's some cause for optimism there. But now the act name itself is on the chopping block because some in the party believe it carries too much political baggage from previous leaders. Some of the alternative names being considered by members are Liberals, Reform, Reason and Taxpayers. The name Freedom has also been floated. And changing the party's name is popular with some. The problem with ACT is that there's a lot of sort of negative connotations that come with it from past leadership. We have a new name, new brand, we can show people that we're actually a party that they can get behind. So I would definitely go for a name change because a lot of the people that actually have heard about ACT um, have sort of a biased view towards ACT. Others, not so much. Rebranding never works. Can't think of a better name actually. Well, I would favour keeping the present name. Mr Seymour picked Winston Peters' pocket today, brazenly pinching his idea to hold referenda on reducing the number of MPs to 100 and abolishing the Māori seats. Even Winston Peters has a good idea from time to time and we've stolen his only good one. Mr Seymour's bill that would legalise euthanasia continues to be strongly supported in the One News poll. The results show consistent support for a euthanasia bill over the last three years, with three and four Kiwis in favour. I think it's good news and I think it's consistent with you know uh, previous polls. Um, people in New Zealand really want this law change. Public submissions are still being heard on the bill. What name do you like out of that? I might get a bit of uh, flack for this, but the name that I did uh, lol out, laugh out loud, uh, was the final act. Yeah, I thought that was quite she did, funny. Actually, it was. I mean, quite it's good. quite good. I feel like I didn't give you enough credit for that the second time because the first time I did laugh. A oh, lot it wasn't at an that. original. No, it wasn't mine. <laughs> I heard it on the radio. Um, I like the Freedom Party. I just feel like the Freedom Party would be such a big thing. Um, but rebranding a party is a would be a massive deal, especially for a party like ACT. They're getting just over 1% at the moment. Um, name recognition is such a huge part of... I mean, people aren't as politically engaged as we are in this building here. And when you go out on the street, lots of people will be like, oh, yeah, I know the ACT Party. That's that Dancing with the Stars guy. And I just think that 
you'd have to it would have to be a massive splash or you know the final act um, to have something that would hit the headlines and really get the vast majority of people to switch over but if they can start attracting some of those orphans in the in politics like the top party or the those people who don't have anywhere to go or the conservative party who don't have places to go at the moment who aren't represented in parliament at the moment that would be good but they've got to start raking up some of their supporters. I thought it was really interesting to see the number of young people um, that spoke in that track um, of Benedict's um, who were at the conference. And obviously they were quite keen to see a name change. So it's that generational um, difference there. The older ones were wanting to keep the name um, the same. There's a lot behind the name, the values, the history of it all. And then you've got the younger ones who say, yes, a a new name would attract um, new support and so on. Um, so maybe you want to give it to the to the young people if that's you know the, the plan is to sort of garner um, sort of more support more to, more of that youth vote. Yeah. Um, whereas older older supporters of parties, you know, they know the policies that brought them to the party in the first place, and they know that those po- um, party policies won't change just because there is a name change. Um, but again. David Seymour obviously did um, well to sort of drum up the support during his time on Dancing with the Stars. We saw in the polls there 1.1, the highest it's been since he took over the leadership. Um, So it might be worth just sticking to what um, is slowly proving to be um, a good good deal for them. But 1.1 isn't going to get them, you know, on 1.1, if they're polling that in a year and a half, National's going to be like... Why would we bother? We'll just take the seat ourselves. So, you know, it is a, I feel like it's a crucial time in Act's history. The next year is going to be really interesting. They're fighting for political survival, survival. So we'll have to see. But talking about the history of the Act Party, should we have a look at this track from when the party was launched in the 90s? Sir Roger Douglas's future followers came face to face today with those who still resent his past. The counter-act protesters almost got in to see the man. Police only just kept them out. But inside there was a warmer welcome for Sir Roger. 500 came to be part of the first ever ACT conference. To them, this man is a visionary. The one thing they know about me is that I always do what I say. Sir Roger has not yet said ACT is a party, though clearly the organisation is already in place. There's the logo, the slogans, brochures in English and Mandarin, and even a souvenir watch. The formal policy launch comes later, February or March next year. Our policies are about Extra education, higher quality education, high quality health care, a superannuation policy which is better than what they have now, and for the average family, half a million dollars in the bank through their working life. The sort of policies we are talking about have got wide-ranging appeal, particularly for low to middle income New Zealand. You know, I'm not personally worried about the rich New Zealanders. They have always been able to look after themselves. ACT is purposefully selling itself as a major rather than a minor party. Roger Douglas says ACT can attract 50% of the vote, though the more realistic here say between 10 and 20%. But therein lies a problem for ACT because this all-change, all-principled party does not have a natural coalition partner. Everybody else is different to us. We're going to go out there and fire. 
Act, new message is being peddled by some familiar faces. And as today showed, people either love that or hate it. So interesting to note um, the last lines in that story there uh, regarding act, you either hate them or you love them. And I don't think much has changed, um, maybe, in the public 1. perception 1. of them percent may disagree. They clearly love them. Yes, but some of them hate them. Um, and uh, the other interesting for me uh, thing for me was seeing the number of Māori that were at the um, the uh, party's launch um, celebrations. Um, and obviously uh, we saw David Seymour sort of raise the idea of getting rid of the Māori seats. Um, not, not a new sort of policy yeah. for ACT, obviously, but um, one that he raised nonetheless. And um, and now putting Winston Peters, I would say, in a very awkward position. Um, yeah, that's an interesting aspect of it, isn't it? Because yeah, they've got it. It's a it's a fine line, and you've got to be really. New Zealand First is going to have to be careful with that one, don't you reckon? It could cause um, the very first sort of major rift, um, rift between um, the government, between New Zealand First and Labour. I mean, obviously Jacinda Ardern had to reiterate um, the Labour's position on the Māori seats, which is that um, getting rid of them was a decision that only Māori um, should decide. Um, but obviously Winston Peters wants to see a referendum on, on whether or not they should be entrenched or whether they should be scrapped. Uh, so if... Um, Act and National paint, um, put, uh, force Winston Peters into a corner over this, um, then that could trigger um, the first sort of major spat between Labour and New Zealand First. And there's going to be one, you know, we know that there is over the I next can't couple wait. of years. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> we'll get out the popcorn. The other thing I quite liked from that story as well is that they were aiming for 50% support. Yeah. Not quite there, but still doing, still doing well. Oh, really and just another little note, the yeah. other thing that was great about that was the party souvenir watch. Oh yeah. Uh, where is that? Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's been handed down to David Seymour. I'd like to know. Yeah, if anyone has one, please um, send us a um, tweet or an email. We'd love to we'd love to see it. Bring them. back the merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Um so really interesting moments in the house this week. It was quite fun. It's the last one. We've had a four weeks of sitting. It's the last one before they go on a two week recess and um, there was a bit of um, fire and controversy. So have a look at this. Is she concerned that New Zealand First might vote for my smaller government bill, given that they have supported it in the, or the same concept in the past? Speaker, no. Tough entry. Is that because Winston Peters is a lion on the hustings and a lamb in cabinet? Yeah. Order, order, order. Um, it's, it's getting very close to being ruled out, but we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave it now. Now, he's called into question my undoubted courage. <laughs> and I do not need a member of the Oblivion Party to be doing that. I was anticipating an answer from the ventriloquist. Yeah. <laughs> right, that member will now stand, withdraw and apologise. I withdraw and apologise. Prime Minister... Mr. Order, 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 Mr. Hipkins. Mr. Hipkins will now stand, withdraw, and apologise. I apologise for calling the leader of the opposition a chauvinistic pig. As, as, a, as a result of that non-withdrawal, the opposition will have an extra five questions. Because we were watching that. Um, from there's a special place where the press gallery can sit and you get quite a good view. You can also hear things way better when you're in there than when you're listening on 
TV. Um, I think it's just the acoustics in there or something. Um, but yeah, Chris Hipkins was pretty fired up by the ventriloquist. I can't say it. I couldn't say it before. Can yeah, by this <laughs> ventriloquist, ventriloquist <laughs> comment, um, and yeah, it was it, it was quite harsh. But I I'm not you know I'm not sure if he meant it in a chauvinistic way. But that's the line that they're kind of playing at the moment. It's interesting, eh? Yeah, and and uh, that's that they are playing that line, and it is interesting because Grant Robertson is actually quite guilty of of. Um, feeding lines um, to Jacinda Ardern, just on the low key. Um, and He's a carrying the, voice, though. <laughs> and the, the problem with that is, is that she doesn't need that um, help um, because she's quite capable on her own. Um, and it's just getting them into a bit of... Um, I think in fairness, though, we used to see that with um, John Key and we used to see that with Bill English. As well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like it's part of the... I don't think it's like, oh, we need to look after her... Uh, she can fight her own battles, and they all know that. But I guess it's just part of being on a team, maybe. You know what I mean? That you're yeah, sort of chipping yeah, in. Yeah, true. And, I don't know, but it was it was quite good fun and some quite nice little moments. And I think for most people, it's not personal that stuff. They're acting like children, but as soon as they leave the debating chamber, it's it's business. It's testing ideas. It's quick wit. I don't think um, any of them lose too much sleep over it, although Chris Hopkins did seem quite angry, so we'll see. Oh, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> great to have you with us. Uh, this was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we're covering for One News. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and it's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page, and check us out on your favourite podcasting app.